Hey, what's going on everybody? It's episode number 53 of the Audible Farm Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Couchtown Coffee. Couchtown Coffee is roasted right here in Iowa, and it's the only coffee that I will drink. It's my favorite coffee. I've, I've drank a lot of coffee in my lifetime too, believe me. You can go to www.couchtowncoffee.com, click on the Our Coffee section, uh, hunt around on the website, see what you like. Uh, they got tips on there on how to brew the coffee the best um, uh, as far as what is industry standards best coffee the way that Andrew Chipman, the roaster and owner at Couchdown Coffee, um would recommend and it's it's great i like the website i like what they got going on there they also have a facebook page you can go to their facebook page and give it a like i've got links to both of those down below if you find some coffee you like you can make an order and i'll tell you what couchtown coffee is so awesome that they will give you 20 percent off if you enter the promo code and the promo code this week is sound sound the promo code will save you 20 percent, and not only that this week, since uh, Audible Farm podcast turned one year old, uh, I've offered something fun for this. So the first five orders this week will come with a free Audible Farm podcast sticker. Um, uh, Andrew and I at Couchtown have hooked it up and we've got a little plan going. So the first five orders this week will get an Audible Farm podcast sticker as long as you use the promo code SOUND. And why is this week's promo code SOUND? Because this week I am joined by Ben Hall. And Ben is the guy that's been put on task to record uh, what is a tentative album coming out from Three Finger Betty. This might be this might be the only time we've ever like even publicized this a little bit. Oops. Um, but yeah, so we're in the studio doing our best to do some recordings and uh, seeing how it's going. And Ben's been very, very good to us as far as uh, working in a good time frame. You know, we've as far as every band goes, uh, it's just hard to get everybody together. And then you add one more person to the mix and it's just uh, a little bit more chaos. So uh, he's been really good to us and he's a... Uh, uh, pretty well-managed person as far as how he has everything set up and i he's uh, pretty nice about it when i ask him questions about what's going on and stuff like that so i figured hey let's sit down and talk about it and then come to find out he's a musician too and uh, i'm i'm really intrigued by the way that he described his music in this podcast um you know we had a lot of fun sitting down talking a little bit of tech and a little bit of how he does recordings and how he got started and uh, what his bands are as far as their schedules as playing and things like that i will have links to everything down below and uh thanks for listening everybody it's episode number 53 with ben hall it's the audible farm podcast with your host, Peter Stockdale. All right, uh, sitting down with Ben Hall. Uh, ben, uh, you have actually been, uh, I guess, put on task to be the man that has to record Three Finger Betty's next album. Yeah, it's and, pain in the ass. And, oh, <laughs> I'm just wor- kidding. Worst gig ever. No, uh, like the two of us have not really met that much and we recorded an album and uh, we did uh, six songs in mm-hmm. uh, the course of an afternoon and an evening. And uh, one of the things that I feel like 
I guess I never really thought too much about when it comes down to recording music was uh, the amount of setup, I guess, that comes into play with, um, I guess, everything, like the amount of cables that have to be run, the amount of microphones. It's just, uh, it's it's very intensive if you're going to do it uh, as everybody in a live batch, which is how we recorded everything. I kind of enjoy doing it that way, though, because you get this unique energy that you're. it's harder to capture when you're recording each element individually. You yeah. know, if, if, if you're just doing the drums to click, then the guitar to click and then the bass to click, uh, if, if you're not careful, it can start to feel more mechanical. So I, I kind of enjoy the energy of a live type of a setting. All right. Um, so like, I, I mean, that's, that's just kind of the deal. Like when, when, okay. So we had made a, a prior attempt to record an album and we did it track by track by track by track, right. which, uh, is, is weird because like it was the first time I'd ever done that. And it's, it's, you feel like weirdly disconnected from everybody else while they're playing their parts. Right. I mean, you can definitely laser everything down to the beat and make it perfect, mm-hmm. but it, it also feels a little odd, like while you're doing it that way, like what's your experience with either going track by track by track or saying everybody's going to be either recording in an isolated space or the same space uh, all at once. Well, I mean, it kind of depends on the project. I've, I've done it both ways. I enjoy doing it both ways. Um, what, what I found is it kind of depends on the group that I'm working with. So like you guys and the sleepover, uh, what I was able to do was just do it live, but you know, both bands were very well, um, rehearsed in, yeah. in their stuff. And so the, the energy of the group dynamic is really able to come across better. Yeah. Whereas there's some groups I would never even, I don't even know if I would agree to record them in a live setting. And it's, it's not that they're terrible. It's just that, you know, I've, there's, there's some music that I think needs the energy of the live setting. And there's some that I think needs the precision of the separate type of recordings. But given the choice, I I think I would always rather do it in a, in a live group one because it it's a bit quicker to to do it and and two because again you know the energy of it is a bit different uh i totally agree like 100 percent, where you say like the energy comes across i was talking about this with somebody the other day and it's kind of a parallel discussion that led us to exactly this um and the thing was that we were talking about like uh, do you ever practice with a metronome and it's like well yeah i mean you got to practice with a metronome um but I also don't live and die by the metronome because if you live and die by the metronome every time, all the time, it's it ends up with this weirdly manufactured sound, which is mm-hmm. kind of what, like, if you go track by track by track, a lot of times you will record to a metronome initially and you can always come back to that metronome click track to make sure everything is perfectly in time. And it adds, I mean, like we've talked about, it makes it perfect, but it also sometimes just saws off the live energy feel that you can have sometimes. Definitely. And, uh, you know, as far as like, I I don't have a disparity. I'm not like upset when somebody like sounds different live compared to the album Mm. because it's two completely different processes. It's like, uh, check out this, you know, picture I painted. Now check it out when I paint it on the fly. It's like two completely different things, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. But, you know, like, I feel like, I mean, that's just from, like, sitting here with you and listening to a few of the tracks from Three Finger Betty. It's like, this sounds like, because uh, I've recorded a bunch of our stuff live before, but it's always just with a portable recorder. I didn't, mm-hmm. like, do a nice job with it like you did. <laughs> so, but it's like, this Thank sounds you. like all of those recordings, but, like, really good. Like, really good, you know? So, you end up with this live feel to everything still, still to an extent, you know, where it's... I blame part of the nice sound on Clint's toms. <laughs> I wish every drum kit I recorded had had Clint's Tom sounds. They just sound amazing. 
Yeah, I'm, that was something that he like sat down and did his research on and hunted down like the exact perfect drum set he wanted to buy, and he did all the proper research and got a good set, you know. And, oh yeah, and you know, kudos to him. I'm, and to be honest, kudos to him because he actually, as far as I'm concerned, like almost any band he's in, he adds like a different dynamic. With uh, it's not just the fact that he's got like a huge drum set, but he like uses oh, the whole thing, you know, and he's and he uses it differently on different projects, and I definitely. Yes notice that quite a bit from you know the sleepovers new record which is coming out in october sweet um, and shout out to the sleepover yeah they're pretty great yeah and uh as as opposed to you know this new three finger betty thing that's that's in progress at, at the moment um the energy of his performance is different on, on each one you know but they're yeah. also kind of different types of music whereas you know from my limited perspective and life experience i would label the sleepovers more like like punk yeah more like raw punk whereas i would think of three finger betty as being more like i don't even know punk with more of a metallic edge yeah yeah um but not like a modern type of metal but kind of like your like classic 80s metal type of edge yeah, you know, and that's something that's really weird is when we try to, like, define Three Finger Betty. Like, punk, like, it's the easiest, most roundest thing you can say, but, like, the way Clint plays the drums... Um, is not very punk. No. And then when John rips out a solo, it's like, that is not a punk solo yeah, at all. Yeah, punk people don't play solos like that, you know? Um, you know, and I'm I'm only playing, like, little fills here and there, but there's, like, pinch harmonics and other mm-hmm. shit going on. Um, Which, that... by the way, for anybody listening to this, uh, when the Three Finger Betty album does come out you should know that all of the solos were improvised on the fly by john so if you're listening to a solo and you're like oh my god this is amazing just remember he made that up on the spot yeah that, that's like my favorite part about it is he's got like a general direction with where he goes with his solos but it's kind of just however they come out on the fly and it's kind of cool to like even just to play with him every single night where you're just like dude he just ripped it tonight you know like this one's a shredder and then like sometimes it's just like this one has a lot more surfer feel to it you know so it's kind of cool just to see how it comes out um yeah that's totally cool about that like where we just like ripped him on the fly um i was not involved in like the second session i would say of of recording i didn't do any of the background vocals so oh, unfortunately was, i won't be on the... just vocals it's not a big deal yeah, unfortunately <laughs> i won't be on the vocals but you can hear me live with three well, finger betty you could have been there yeah i was just at kidding. i was at another show unfortunately um <sighs> doing another podcast oh uh, I'm, I'm i'm always getting around i guess but uh but yeah so like i didn't know whether or not he was going to sit down and re-record solos or what was going to go on that day other than just doing background vocals and i, I guess he left them all in there so that's going to be pretty awesome. I can't wait to hear that uh, when everything gets polished completely. It's going to be really I'm amazing. I'm certainly in, enjoying the progress on it so far. Uh, there was one of them. I can't even remember which one. Uh, oh, the fifth track. At, was it? Nope, the third track. I keep getting the third and the fifth one backwards. But towards the end of the third track, and I'm, I'm not trying to say names mm-hmm. of the tracks because I'm not trying to spoil it for, yeah. for people. But... Uh, there's this cool thing that happened at the end of it where someone just slammed a door and uh and i was like hey do that again and i recorded it and popped it in there i was like that sounds awesome that's awesome that's (laughs) that's pretty funny so yeah i mean like that's one of the things where like you would think about that whereas if i was doing any like i can do ludicrously basic recordings of things like what you would call like 
raw demo type stuff, but I can't do anything polished like this. But like, I would never think about anything like that. And uh, and that's some other things where you just like, hey, check this out. You like send me a message and be like, I did this. What do you think of this? And it's just something you like you whipped up in five minutes. And like, that's actually pretty awesome, you know? Like oh, like the intro. Yeah. So like, just stuff like that where it's like, this is yeah. cool. This is cool. I uh, I dig what you got going on because you're actually part of the creative aspect and not just like. I don't know, it's, it's a lot easier when you have extra input, uh, especially from somebody that has the hands-on uh, on the task, you know? I feel like the, the creative side of it is the most fun, you know? I, I definitely enjoy the engineering side, the, you know, aspect of, okay, I, I recorded this drum, What what is this drum trying to sound like and how do I make it sound like it? Yeah. Um, you know, more of that kind of the precision and and engineering work to it. But I really enjoy the creative aspect of, you know, when someone comes in with an acoustic and they're like, Hey, I wrote this song on, on an acoustic and let's make a whole track out of it. And, Uh uh, you know, and we'll we'll be like, well, let's, let's, let's toss some, some bass here, like a, a synth here or something. And we'll just go through these libraries upon libraries of synths, uh, you know, just trying to, to figure out like, well, what's a good sound to blend with this? What direction do we want to sort of like take it? Um, you know, when you have a song and there's a multitude of directions that, that it can go. So you take it in one, but then you take it in another and see which one you like more. Yeah. And then you, you, you pick one and run with it. And it's, it's a process that I really, um, enjoy last year. Uh, my, my first clients, um, uh, the Stress Vine, a folk duo out of Oskaloosa. Wonderful people, Corey and Brittany. Uh, pretty, pretty fortunate to say that we've become friends uh, yeah. since I moved to Iowa. And um, they came in with an acoustic and a cajon, and the idea was just to record a demo mm-hmm. or uh, or something a little bit above a, a demo. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I think I'm hearing something here. So just piece by piece, we put together this, the the whole track with you know, um, acoustic and bass and electric and shakers and cajones and um, organ and other stuff that was on it and putting some sound effects at the beginning and the end and whatnot and playing with this and that. Like, oh, you know what? I think at this one spot here, I want to send the vocal out through a wah pedal, mm-hmm. you know, or something. Yeah. And is the the creative aspect of turning this idea into a reality, I think, was really cool. And the fact that I was able to hear the track on the radio was really cool, too. Um, and I, I think that was kind of where I realized, yeah, I think this is like what I want to do is kind of help bands and artists to, you know, kind of take their ideas and bring them to life in a way that they like, you know, not necessarily like what I like, you know, but yeah, cause I mean, I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to sit down every day and listen to folk music. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. But, um, you know, to be able to, to create a folk track and kind of get my feet wet in that area and. Uh, kind of being open to those new possibilities in terms of like what sound can be, I think is really fun. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's a really cool thing. I, when I think about it, like as far as uh, being, I've only recorded with or uh, done podcasts with a couple of different people who do recordings. And uh, one of the things I always think is weird is like, it's kind of like being uh, an artist that gets paid on commission and you just are kind of at the whim of what somebody else wants you to do. So you might not get to paint something you want to paint or make something you want to make, you know, or something like that. So like, uh, as a recording, uh, what do you, what would you even call it? Like an engineer, like a recording? I don't even know. I'm just um, a guy with, with some half-ass equipment who can 
sort of turn it into music yeah so like whatever that is like right. you might you, you know and somebody's just like hey i want you to record my band and you're just like cool let's see what we can do and it might not be something you want to listen to but you still have to put like your two cents in to be like okay let's see what's the best way we can make this sound and you have to listen to people for example like when three finger betty comes in uh we're starting to get everything sound set up and the longest conversation you had like before setting everything up was with with clint about how he wanted the drums to sound you mm-hmm. know so like you took a lot of direction from like how he was trying to explain to make it sound you know and you did a good job like giving everybody headphones and things like that and being able to like you know here's your own volumes and everything so you can mix it any way you want to in your own ears and get as loud as you want and and stuff like you know like that kind of stuff it's uh just making the accommodations but being open to what he's got to say about things like that um is there any as you have do you like record anybody that's just like so open-minded that it's almost hard to try to figure out what sound they want to come out of things yes for sure um but i mean you know i i think it can go both ways you can have a band that 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 comes in and, and they're like we have an idea but we have no idea what we what like we want to do with it so we trust you you know all of our eggs are in, in your basket uh-huh. and to me that that's kind of terrifying because it's like okay i really want to make sure that i'm doing your music justice and give you something that you're actually going to really love and enjoy long term and not something that you're going to turn around in six months and say you know i'm not actually happy with this yeah um but on the flip side it's equally i don't want to use the word terrifying just more nerve-wracking you know uh, when you get an artist who's like, this is specifically what we want, because if you know how to achieve specifically like what they they want, then it goes very quickly. But there's also that pressure aspect of okay, it has to be exactly you know how exactly. it has to be. And I'm I'm okay with both possibilities. I had a, a pop artist come in uh, with just oh, cool. an acoustic, and we put together a whole song, kind of the one that I I told you about. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, afterwards, you know, it was kind of like, okay, so how do we think that that went? You know, cause this was kind of new to both of us. And then there's, you know, been um, I I guess I haven't really had a band come in that's like this is exactly what we we want. But I th- I think I think Clint with his drums and his idea of what he wants them to sound like was the closest that I've come to it. And I'm okay with that because to me, you know, it's not my art. You know, so yeah, that's true. Like, like to me it's not like i'm trying to paint something on commission because it's like you have an idea and then you want me to to paint it to me when a band comes in with their own material it's like okay here's the painting make it digital yeah you know okay yep um and uh and so to me it's kind of like all right so i i really want to make sure that i'm bringing out you know what what you're giving me and working with you because it's your art and i enjoy doing that because it stretches me as an engineer too uh, to have these learning experiences, you know, I think every project is a new opportunity to learn something. And if, if I do a project and I don't learn anything off of it, then I kind of wonder if I really put my heart into it or, or not. Yeah, definitely. You know? So, um, you know, this is going to sound weird, but like the older I get, the more I realize like that is pretty much like the key to life. You just realize you can learn from almost every interaction you have, right. um, um, whether or not it's business or, or pleasure, but then you have to like figure out you know, what do I got to take away from this interaction? And if you're not taking anything away, you're probably not, you probably just don't care about it, you know? And that's, uh, it's not always a great spot to find yourself in, but let's like, how did you even get started doing recording stuff? Oh, like, did you just man. start at your house recording yourself with like a, a well, interface or like what exactly? See, it all starts on the day I was born. I'm just <laughs> um, no, I, I got my first guitar when I was 16 
uh, started playing, and I, um, oh god, this was back in Wisconsin when I was living at my dad's house and stuff, and uh, and I remember I had a copy of FL Studio. I think okay. it was like eight or something, like just just old. And uh, I made a couple of like drum beats on it and started playing to them and just just recorded something that way and i didn't know like what i was doing i had a what i had i had a jackson dinky like a cheap jackson dinky <laughs> running into a digitech rp80 right. on the on the rectifier type of a sound and <laughs> plugging that in directly into my computer and uh and just recording that way and i didn't know like what i was doing you know um but it was I, I guess I just always enjoyed making music. Uh, when I got into college, I, you know, uh, was pretty active with music there. Um, and uh, I had recorded something in my dorm room my sophomore year of college. Uh, just a guitar idea that, that I had. And over the next couple of years, I started to build on it and turn it into an actual track. And I thought it was really cool. Um, and I kind of realized, okay, this is something that I kind of want to do. So I went to music go round and got a pair of monitors and not these ones. These ones are way nicer than the ones I had before. <laughs> and these aren't even that nice by comparison, um, to, you know, others. But, uh, I, I picked up, what did I have? I had a single Audio-Technica Pro 37 and a Rode NT1A and that was it. And I would just record things acoustically, um, and uh and kind of worked on a couple of projects here and there just gradually kind of building up and i really enjoyed it uh the reason why i got into recording and started doing it more buying equipment was initially you know the reason why i think anyone does is you know it's like oh i want to like write this music and record it and not to pay someone else to yeah, yeah. and then I, yeah. I i i gradually kind of realized i suck at writing music yeah but i'm 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 better at recording than i'm at writing music uh, so I, um, I don't even know really how I got into it. I just, uh, had, had moved up here and I played a show down in, I can't even remember, uh, not Fairfield, but maybe Kiyosakwa. Okay. Uh, my buddy Curtis Oliver of Never Knows Best, uh, had a music shop down there for a bit called Ollie's Music Shop. And he had a stage in the back of the, the shop and I, I went down and I played a set and then Corey and Brittany of the Stress Vine were there, and that's where I met them. And I had listened to some of their demo work after that. And I was like, this is great, you know, like, like this is good. And I can't re remember how the conversation of recording them came up, but it kind of started to. Mm -hmm. And so then they came in, and I recorded them. I was like, you know what, this sounds great. Let's actually do something with this. So I just started to record people. Yeah. Did you ever, like, play any instruments growing up? You know, like Growing up, not really. I got my first guitar again when I was 16 and just started going from there. So I you mean, know, like, no, like, piano lessons or, like, oh, no, trumpet in the band or nothing no, like that? No, I had no musical background. Actually, when I was a little, little kid, I wanted to play the violin because I okay. thought it was really cool. Yeah. Um. And, of course, my dad was like, no, because we were four and he couldn't afford the, the violin rental, which is understandable in hindsight. At the time, I was like, you're just terrible. But yeah. <laughs> in hindsight, it's like, holy shit, violins are expensive, man. Um, yeah, no kidding. And my grandma, uh, God, my grandma was wonderful. She died a few years back. But she uh, she had a piano 
at her house and every time that we would go there to visit i would always be messing around on it and i was fascinated by the notes and the sounds and stuff so i i always had an interest in music but i just never really had the opportunity to start to like play and learn and grow with it till i got a little bit older yeah so like it was kind of your first guitar that got you like really interested in it and uh, yeah started trying to figure out exactly what it was all about or first song i ever learned how to play was a rise against song okay all right (laughs) oh man i'm trying to think of like what man the first song i learned how to play was probably like i think it was if you really had to break it down like not enough by our lady peace was probably like one of the first songs i learned how to play um but yeah, I mean, I mean, I grew up on that punk scene, and that was pretty much what it was. Like, I, I got a guitar gifted to me, and uh, that's when I kind of started taking an interest in in music and things like that. Um, I took a theory class in high school, and was was like, yeah, I kind of figured it out. I kind of got, kind of understand what's going on. But it wasn't until I was older I kind of applied it all. Unfortunately, I but, was I was more raised on like Aerosmith and Beastie Boys and stuff like that. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah, twelve year old me walking to school with my Walkman CD player blasting uh, "License to Ill." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I always thought that like someone should do a cover of "Sabotage." I mean, you did oh, kind God. of a somewhat difficult song to uh, pull off. So. I do some, like, solo performing, well, quote, do, more, like, slowly starting to get back into it. I've uh, been kind of getting into some looping stuff, and I was looking up songs that I could do with that, you know, and I really wanted to do that one. I was like, I just don't know if I can, because there's all of these unique sounds in it. I'm like, I can't emulate that. It's difficult. It's one of those songs that, without the energy, it sounds like garbage <laughs> yeah, it's tough because i sat down and like i was like this song shouldn't be that hard so i started looking up all the parts i'm like this, this is actually kind of difficult you know <laughs> yeah. like it's, not, it's difficult in its simplicity i think is like one of the deals with it uh did you ever see the video of them playing i think it was on david letterman mm-hmm. they did that live video of that and i was just like good lord these guys are just killing it live too and oh I, yeah i don't know how they're doing it but. yeah beastie voice is interesting too because they're more you know they're pretty like known for you know like like that song and everything off of license to to ill but um they actually have a couple of instrumental records that are or at least one that's really really good yeah um and it definitely shows that they're actually really good musicians yeah exactly like i you never really think too much about the fact that like oh they can go out there and play that if they wanted to yeah. you know like and and they they did you know but uh have you ever like what is probably the the biggest production wise thing that you've done for like a band so far? Because uh, I do want to come back to your shows because I we, I saw you had one coming up, yeah. so we're gonna have to uh, dig around for the data. Well, on one, let me look here. Production wise, yeah, because like okay. I mean, did you ever get anybody that's just like we want to co- record 147 tracks? Uh, we're gonna layer them all. You know, did you get no, anything that crazy yet? Or well, as far as like like requests on on the production no as far as what i've done on production i think ironically i think the song that i did the most amount of extraness on was uh um eulogy by the stress find their single that, that i did last year okay uh they came in again with an acoustic and a cajon then they came back a couple of weeks later and we added more s- stuff to it and they had an ernie ball music man guitar great nice great thing yep and it 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 has the the two quarter inch outputs on it and the usb and you can 
actually go in and change how those outputs work. And so it had a, it had a humbucker and a piezo in it. Yep. And we set the outputs so that one output was the piezo and the other was the humbucker. And I recorded them to separate tracks, panned them like left and right, EQ'd them to sound as close to each other as I could, and then I reamped them. And I think in total, all the tracks that I like layered together and played with and whatnot, and like reamping, doing this and that and whatnot, I think uh, 220 tracks, and then gradually started to bounce that down and put it all together. And it turned out great in the end, considering it was my, you know, the first track I'd ever done for someone else. Um, I, I still go back and listen and, and listen to it and I'm like, damn, not bad. But, uh, it was, it was definitely a learning experience because up until that point, you know, I thought, oh, you know, a song, maybe 24 tracks at tops. Yeah. And this one just started to blow up and get, you know, like more and more and more and more and bigger and bigger. And I, that kind of opened my eyes to like how in depth you can get with the production stuff and I really enjoyed it. But as far as like requests that I've gotten, um, I think the most complicated thing was of uh of Brighter Skies out of Madison, Wisconsin when I did their live uh back in January. Um they just wanted me to blend their backing tracks in with it and that was the most complicated request that I've gotten. Yeah. That's about it. So what do you mean by, like, blend their backing tracks in there with it? So they have extra backing tracks for guitars Oh, and, okay. So they play and, along and with backing tracks live, and they wanted to right, figure right. out a way to blend that into it. Right, and so they had just emailed me all of their all of their stems, and I was able to, to, to blend that in. So the drums were live, the um, and, you know, the guitars were live. The bass was just a backing track. They didn't have a bass player on, on that show. Um but I was able to blend these backing tracks on the guitars and the vocal with the live stuff and kind of make it sound a bit fuller and bigger than it yeah. actually was in at, at the show. But it turned out great. That's awesome. Like, I mean, that's another thing. Like, so you went to a like recorded them live as they were playing at a mm-hmm. show somewhere. Um, yep. And you pulled it all straight off the board somehow. Yeah. So it kind of depends on where I'm recording. Like, if I'm recording at at like Lefties, which I haven't yet would love to yeah but um then because it's a digital board i would just plug the board into my computer with a, a usb yep. download the driver and set you know the tracks to just record right off the, the board mm-hmm. into the daw yep. whereas at the muse where i usually do most of my live recordings then i take my x air down there and i just take a bunch of quarter inch cables and just plug the direct outs off the board into the xair and then record it that way yep which is tricky because the direct outs off the board there are post fader okay so uh if the fader on the board moves then the recorded volume moves yep so i have to be a little bit careful you know to be like okay i'm gonna let you know the sound guy mix everything the way he wants it for the set and then I'm just going to beg and plead with you not to move the faders or the EQs or anything during the set, and then you absolutely have to. <laughs> yeah, so, like, uh, the concept of that is, like, sometimes somebody's just like, well, we need to EQ this around and fade up the guy hitting the solo because his channel right. for the solos is not right. any louder, but everybody still needs to hear right. it. Right, and, I mean, like, that's, like, whatever, you know. It's it's, it's kind of one it's hmm. It's one of those where, you know, the more change and fluctuation to the signal that's coming into to the recording is just going to make more work in post with editing. Yep. But, I mean, you know, 
challenges and obstacles and learning yeah, curves and experiences. And You know, so you're kind of at the whim of whatever gear is at the place you're at. Otherwise, you have to, like, drag right. your own everything oh there God. pretty much, which... Which I basically do with, you know, or will be doing with my solo stuff. But, I mean, that's a-okay with me. All right. <laughs> All right, so we touched on the fact that you... Uh, do a little bit of sound work at lefties and or uh muse mm-hmm. but uh let's talk about this solo gig stuff you got going on when i saw the picture you posted online i was just like oh this is going to be some interesting stuff going on here cause right I've, I've attempted to pull off things in that genre with uh just a guitar it's, right it's, right it's not it's not as difficult as it could be but it's hard to do well which uh i i'm not going to say that i did the greatest at it but i did it good no but, i'm going to preface it, by saying Again, I'm better at recording than I am at at, at writing and, and performing, so uh, I think I'm compensating for my lack of ability to do everything on an acoustic by just adding more shit to the setup. But it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I I have a couple cajones and I always like playing them, and then I got a bongo cajon. That's really cool too. Oh, that's it's neat. Fun. Yeah, uh, and then uh, I got these congas. Um, I love Craigslist and Marketplace. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So I found these, um, I can't remember. I think the guy was in Iowa City or something or or whatever. And he had a pair of congas listed. And I, I looked him up and knew it was like four or 500 bucks for the pair. And he had them listed for, for 100 So I messaged him. I was like, hey, will you take a trade? And he said, sure. So I traded him a tote of old cable <laughs> for these congas. And he was like, the cable works, right? I was like, I think so i mean the cable should be okay i'm not sure about about the ends but uh so um oh hello cat there's a cat in in the room now hello cat but i was i I was able to to trade the cable for for the congas and add that to my setup too and 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 that was kind of where where i got the idea to do the you know the looping stuff and the live stuff was um you know kind of um this thought process of well i have all of this stuff i kind of want to use it not just have it sit here and take up space and so i have you know the cajon the bongo cajon the congas a guitar an electric and an acoustic and uh then my keyboard and i kind of use all of that with my interface and my daw and stuff uh to just layer things up together and it it all goes into so some people have this fancy like boss loop station thing i'm poor so (laughs) i don't so i just have a diddle looper so yeah oh yeah that's what i used man yeah and so the the challenge is to set all of the levels before it goes into the looper Mm -hmm. and then just loop it that way and just hope i don't like mess up on the fly or something because oh man (laughs) so do you have the mini ditto looper i do have the mini Ditto Looper. so it's just the one level just just the one so have you ever okay so here's what i you got to get everything set to some sort of unity so everything goes into this thing at the same level yeah and then just pray and hope that the thing doesn't mess up well you you can think a little on the fly but it's still and that's kind of like what i do is so i have my laptop to control the keyboard because it's just MIDI. Um, and I also use it to do the effects processing on the vocals and acoustic and electric. And then I have my X-Air, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, a, a digital mixer. So I'm able to use that to do the mixing on, you know, everything else, you know, the cajones and the congas and the shakers yep. and stuff like that. And kind of have it all 
preset going into the looper so that all I have to do is just hit the, the loop. And then I've done some test recordings off the looper to see like how it sounds and whatnot and yeah. kind of trying to tweak it and, and get a good what what I'm curious is how it's going to translate in a room. Yeah. You know, and through a, a, a PA because I know how, how it sounds in my headphones and but, you know, it might sound a bit. Yeah, it might sound different, different once right. and it's like a, another mixing board and then uh, live sound somewhere. Right. Um, especially when you're not going to be the one at the the knobs uh, up in the booth twisting everything. Well, and you see, that's the way I set my stuff up the way I do is it's self-contained. So all I'm going to have to do is send a left and right to the house and then they just okay. boost it. All right. So the hope and, the hope and prayer is that, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it'll, you know, the way I have it mixed going in my headphones is, is going to sound good coming out of that PA. Cool. But it's, it's a learning curve and experience. It's, it's not really something that I'm like, Oh, this needs to be perfect or whatever. It's, it's just, I don't know. You know, I've, you know, I spend so much time kind of mixing music and not as much performing. So it's kind of a different type of outlet, just something to break up. Yeah. Uh, you have performed though before oh, yeah. you do perform. Yep, yep. I play with Aren't We All? Okay. Uh, Mark Bowles, Mike Farrell, Josh Tapkin, aka Jorge Pacelli. I don't know how he got the nickname Jorge Pacelli, but uh, that that's him. Um, Mark Bowles, phenomenal drummer. He's been drumming for forty plus years, and Mikey, he's great at singing. We call him our little Maynard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, Mark. Mark just had another surgery, so he's gonna be out for a few more months till he's able to play drums again. So it's, you know, do you guys have like a Facebook or like where do you play shows? We at do. We do have a Facebook. I don't even know what the Facebook is, but if we if you look up, aren't we all on Facebook? I'm sure you'll find it. Yeah. Um, what kind of music do, would you call it? Um, or what what is it? Because I I've not to be like boh, but I've never heard of it. Um. Know? It's very tool inspired. Oh, sweet! So that's awesome. Now I say inspired because I am not Adam Jones. Oh yeah, I mean I'm not I'm not Adam Jones <laughs> either. But that's awesome but though. I think it's really cool. Tool inspired, aka the Danny Carey band. Okay, all right, <laughs> I could go for that. We always uh, joke and laugh that you know um, Adam Jones and Maynard James Keenan are just kind of backing artists to Danny Carey's drum solos. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> Dude, his drum stuff is, is insane. Like, the deeper you look into what he's got going on with his drum set, the, the like, the crazier, crazier it gets, the way oh, it's he's wonderful, in, like, though. Uh, geometric patterns and, and stuff hmm. like that. Aren't we all banned on Facebook all is right. what we are. So, uh, do you guys, how many shows a year do you guys usually play, or, like, where do you play? And... Well, we we didn't play any shows last year. We played a couple in 2017. No, I take it back. We did play a couple last year. Um, but, I mean, we don't tend to play out much. Uh, we don't want to, you know, oversaturate ourselves. Yeah. You know, you have those bands that are playing every other week. and. Uh-huh. And, yeah, been, been um, through that. But, I mean, they've... I've been with them for uh, two and a half years now. Oh, nice. Um but as far as you know th- them themselves they've been around for i don't know a long time uh the band through its name changes and member changes has probably been around for over 20 years all right um and uh you know so they play it all over um 
you know, House of Bricks back when it was oh, there. Cool. Yep, yep. Um, Lefties, Muse. Uh, that's where I played with them was at Lefties and, and, and Muse. Um, and I think they played Woolies once or twice. Cool. Can't remember, but... That's awesome. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. I'm pretty lucky that I got to, to get in and play with them. I, uh, I responded to a Craigslist ad looking for a guitar player, and I was like, shh. Sure, I'll try this out. Uh-huh. And I went in. I saw Mark's drum kit. You know, two kicks, two snares, two hi hats, twelve toms, eleven cymbals. I was like, oh, I, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna see these guys after tonight. <laughs> and they're like, oh, just play something, play anything. And so I pulled out this like old, what I think is kind of a tacky riff, but mostly just because I've been playing it since I was a, a kid. And I played it, and for some god awful reason, they liked it, and then. That became our first song. Oh, cool. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. That's awesome when it's just like, play us a riff, and then it's just like, well, we're going to turn this into music, kid. Like, yep. Buckle up. That was basically it, too. You know, I didn't really know what I got myself into with it, but I'm super lucky. You know, these guys have been doing music for a long, long time, and I feel like their abilities and talents are way above mine, you know, and I'm just like, I am so lucky that these guys decided to take this poor short little band <laughs> under their wing and say hello toast we're going to take care of you I'm like okay <laughs> you say toast yeah they call me toast toast i know all right well, shoot well now everyone else is going to call uh, me toast yeah, too everyone's going to start calling you toast from now on toast so uh you play the solo stuff but like and you, it's not going to be like what you play with the band no no it's very much like hey um you know that song bound to the floor by local h here's my rendition of it with live looping. Okay, I got Or you. like, here's Closing Time, or here's Taylor Swift or something. Oh, so, okay, yeah, I get, that's yeah. actually pretty cool. Yeah. Like, uh, you just pulling your own renditions off of it using whatever you have at your disposal. And it's also pretty awesome that you're just like, I'm going to use uh, what talents I have with a guitar and or cajones and then just utilize my engineering prowess to make this sound a certain way as well. That's about it. Um, here's my secret, people. I am compensating for a lack of musical talent with my engineering skills. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and you said that before, but like, uh, in a roundabout way, that's kind of how I felt like, uh, you and I haven't discussed this. I've talked about it earlier on another podcast, but I played a show where it was just like, um, I had to play an acoustic set for, well, it wasn't even supposed to be just acoustic, but it was just like play a set for, um, a wine walk, you know? So it, it can't be anything profane. It's got to be palatable to general public. So I was just like, I can play acoustic stuff. I can play blues stuff. I can, mm -hmm. you know, and then I was just like, you know what, why don't I just put an A, B in here and throw it in there? And I got acoustic electric. Uh, then I got to send it all through the looper. And then I can layer like solos in here and loop like intros to solos and play that stuff. And, and so I started doing like a little bit of that. And I, I pulled it off pretty well, but it was also one of those things, like you said, like some people have the ability to just sit there with an acoustic guitar and a microphone and it sounds amazing. Yeah. I, I don't have the... Or just an acoustic guitar like Andy McKee or Craig D'Andrea. Uh, I don't have the ability to just sit and do that, though. Like So I had to like just start adding other things in there. Where it's like, well, here's a couple tricks then uh, that you mm -hmm. might not see everywhere. And some people were just like wowed by the whole thing, but other people had seen stuff like that before and weren't as like, crazed out by it. But like, I don't know. Like I did simple stuff. Like I just recorded like a simple chord progression, like finger-picking some nonsense, and I just put it on a loop and just turned it down really low. So that was like the intro music before I was playing. Like everybody just like walked into the thing, uh, you know, on the wine walk and it was just like, Oh, there's nice music playing and it's ambient and whatever. It's like, oh, I made that in like 10 seconds, you know? Like, yeah. I think part of it is I'm too ADD to really sit down and actually learn how to play an instrument 
for real. Like, my band bought me the guitar grimoire book two years ago. Okay. And they've been, like, harassing me to actually sit down and learn how, how to play and become a musician. And I'm like, nah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and... I think part of why I have all these different elements in 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 my setup is I kind of need the variety to keep myself engaged too. So you know I'll like toss something down on an acoustic and loop it, and then I'll do a shaker, and then you know I'll I'll loop that, then I'll do some like congas, add some uh, cajon to it, and then you know add some bass line and like piano or whatever, and just start to build it up because I think I don't know I, th- I think I'm just bored. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean I get there too where it's just like I kind of it like you said ADD I just I just like to learn things um I'm I'm kind of like a busy person right now so thank you for take first off thank you for ta- making the time like thank you I have to go up to Boone after this you know, like, we're recording this on like a mid afternoon on a weekday um, in my control room yeah it's like, control room air quotes it's like the best time we could find but I'm I'm glad we did find some time um but Me i get, too. but i get what you're saying it's just like if you get super busy and you just uh you like to stay busy doing things so sometimes you just uh do something to the best of your ability like get most of the juice out of one squeeze and go to the next thing you know um mm, i like that analogy i it's one i've been using a lot lately because like uh somebody had said i don't remember where i heard it but it's like if you can get 80 percent of the juice out in the first squeeze and it takes like 20% of the work, mm-hmm. then are you willing to work the eight, other 80% to get that last 20% of juice? Uh, then you have to like weigh your options. Is it kind worth of, like, is, I, I'm is willing, it worth a diminished return? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm will. Exactly. I'm willing to do it, but at the same time, is it worth the diminished return? So then mm-hmm. I usually just go to something else. So yeah, I think that's kind of where I've, I've been in approaching that type of point, even in my mixing too, you know, is like, okay, I, I, cause and I know I just recorded your band, and I, yeah. I, it, I feel kind of weird to talk about this with with someone that I've recorded. Let's go for it. More than I feel awkward about it in general, but um, you know, when it boils down to it, you know, recording is a business. You know, equipment costs money, time is money, and stuff. And so when I'm doing a, a live record for you know a a flat amount of money, and say, okay, I'm doing this record for this, um, amount. You know, it kind of gets gets to a point where it's like, well, then how much time am I really spending on this, and what is this actually coming down to on a return side? You know, if I'm spending, you have to budget your time, right? Uh, if I'm spending eighty hours on this record, you know, or hundred hours, then you know, what is that boiling down to? Is that boiling down to five bucks in in an hour, you know, yeah, or exactly. something? And so, or or even not, like, are you gonna spend if you're gonna spend eighty hours totally mixing and doing all the stuff, all the work for this? Do you want to spend 40 of those like mixing one tracks guitar thing and then you're just like oh now i have to cut you know right something else and something else and that was trying to figure out my workflow um i think has been the most important part of what i've been doing and i'm still trying to figure it out i'm sure i'll and i'm i will be trying to figure it out for years to come and modifying it trying to make it a bit better and i think that's just kind of a normal and um engineering type of a thing i, I know when i did the stress fine last year I think in in total with all the, all the mixing and stuff, and I think that one song took over two months. Oh, jeez. But, I mean, I was very happy with the result, but when I went into it, I didn't really know what direction it was going to go. I'd never done that type of music. And so as, as I've gone and recorded different styles and genres, even some of my own stuff, um, I've been able, you know, to to figure out, well, what is my approach to mixing going to be in the first place, which for me 
is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try and make something sound like something that it's not. So I, I'm, I'm going to say, okay, this is a cajon. What is this cajon trying to sound like? And then how can I make it best sound like that? And then just do it, you know? Uh, and the same thing with a snare or a tom or a guitar or a, a, a voice or something, you know, and try to mix each element to sound as good as it can on its own and then blend those t together in a mix and say, well, you know, like how are these frequencies going to sit and Tetris together here and stuff. Um, and that that's kind of helped me to become a little more streamlined in my process, you know, kind of make better use of my time with it. So, uh, cause there, there's two sides to mixing. There's the technical side of like, okay, well, how am I going to do this channel routing in the buses and, yeah. you know, and, and the initial EQing of like, okay, you know, like, where's this high pass going to be? Where's this boost or cut or whatever it's going to be? And, um, and then there's the creative side of, of, okay, how do we make all of these elements in the mix sit together properly? How, how do I create some like emotion and movement in, in this mix? So it's not just so blah and static and, and, and boring. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, your music is boring. It's just one of those no, get, where it's like, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Cause like you kind of want a song to be catchy and engaging and i think part of that can be is as simple as well let's just do like a three decibel boost on the drums at the start of the chorus and then kind of like taper it off a bit so it it hits in and drops off and it's not just like the same like okay here's the level yeah you know and so that's that that's the creative side that i really enjoy doing so trying to streamline the te the technical side of it you know with with that approach of i'm just going to make each element sound like what it's trying to sound like you know, then just do that and go with it. I've been able to, you know, um, that, that's that single that I did last year that took, you know, two months as opposed to the sleepovers record, which I think start to finish took five weeks. Nice. And that was it. Yeah. So you've been um, able to streamline your process quite a bit. Right. Right. And I think that's really good too, you know, because I think when it comes to mixing, there's a certain point where, where, like you said, the diminishing, like, returns of, like, you're going to, you know, like, you're going to sit there for eight hours and accomplish nothing. Uh-huh. You know, because, like, this is already sounding about as good as it can, so how would I just put it away and come back to it in a week and see if it's good? And if it is, then cool, I'll send it off. And if not, then I'll make a couple of changes and then, you know, I'll call it good or something. So. Yeah. So how does all this translate as far as, like, doing sound in a controlled environment like, uh... Uh, wherever you depend on depends on where you're recording stuff whether or not it be in like mm -hmm. this room and isolated rooms and like you know um you go over, you ever gone over to somebody else's place i'm sure and recorded some stuff at their mm -hmm. place or whatever but how does all that translate to going somewhere live because you do live uh sound at vaudeville yep so how does it translate like all this to all of that like is because it's harder oh, to have man, the, the it's harder to have, question it's harder to have all of this like the thought process like what is mm -hmm. what are they trying to sound like what is this band going for like you know blah 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 blah. it's harder to do all that i'm sure on the fly with each and every band live actually um, i find it easier easier um but so I'm sure some engineer out there listening to me is going to be screaming his head off and just having a vein pulsing out of the side of his neck when he hears me say this. But when I'm live, I give like two fucks as opposed to when I'm in a studio, I give like all the fucks. And yeah. part of that is, I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to no, say that. No, you say whatever you want. Okay, good. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so uh, <laughs> um, if you're listening, Jesus, I don't care. Um, so, um, 
when I'm in the studio, you know, what, well, in the studio, I don't even want to call this a studio. It's just, I just record music and I happen to have a mix room here. Um, but when I'm like doing on like a studio type of a side, you know, it's much more microscopic. You're trying to figure out exactly how specifically is this element trying to sound. Whereas when you're doing it like at a show and live, you're kind of mixing to the room. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, okay, let's just make this tom sound good in this room. Let's make this snare sound good in this room. Let's make the kick sound good in, in, in this room. Um, what I tend to do is I'll do like a line check uh, before the band plays, but most of my mixing that I'm going to do before band plays is in the monitors. Yeah. Because I want to make sure that a band is able to hear themselves as well as they can. Because when you're on stage and you're playing, you know, how are you going to do good on stage if you can't hear? what's going on on stage. So I want to make sure that the band is as confident as I can be on stage with what they're hearing back. And then during the first song, you know, of the set or the first half of a song, I'm going to do the main bulk of my mixing. And that's just kind of a matter of, okay, so yeah, you know, let's say this kick is trying to do some slap at like 3000 Hertz or 4000 Hertz. Cool. Let's just put that in there, Mm -hmm. you know, and just kind of dial that in really quick because when you're live, it's a room is very forgiving, yeah. and the layperson's ears aren't really going to be able to tell much of a difference unless it just sounds like horse shit. Yeah. Um, and my thing about that is like, yeah, when I'm mixing live, I definitely want to create an experience for for the crowd. Now, again, I'm talking about mixing at Vaudeville Muse, not mixing at Woolies or Wells Fargo. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that yeah. that would be way different, and I would definitely take that much more seriously. And I do take my mixing very seriously. But when I'm mixing a band live, I want it to just be more of creating an experience, you know, of like, okay, so the levels are good. If the levels in the house are good, then I'll do a little bit of EQ tweaking, but that's about it. Uh Because, you know, it's kind of whatever. You know, people are more... I tend to see people more engaged in the band's performance than in the than in how they actually sound yes uh, i can definitely say that uh like full force of a band is even semi-engaging it's definitely more entertaining and right. um i'm not really keying in 100 percent on how they sound mm-hmm. um but like let me ask you this uh you're at the depends on where you go and i'm not like crapping on anybody's sound system places but every everybody's sound system is different some people just have like a tiny mixer and powered speakers some people have like an amp that's like nine thousand years old and never gets shut off and it's kind of junky and some like you know whatever it happens to be wherever you happen to be doing the mixing um you're also like not only at the whim of the equipment of the place that you have to go to so you have to like get used to that but like you're at the whim of everybody that shows up with whatever rig they have. Mm-hmm. And you could have somebody that's just like, I'm going to crank it up to 10 because fuck it. And then you could have somebody else that in the band that's just like, mine's only cranked up to two and it's way quieter. And you have to like find a way to make that parody meet up. I'm sure you run into issues where it's like, hey, can I have you turn your amp down a little bit? And people kind of get huffy about it. Or I've never had someone get huffy, mostly because what I found is some engineers are... Mm, I have to be very careful with my verbiage with with this because I am an engineer and I definitely do have some of these traits myself. But, you know, as an engineer, you're going in to mix a band and you have an idea of what you want it to sound like. But I feel like when you're mixing live and working with a band, you have to have customer service skills. Yes. You have to be able to work with people. And I'm not saying I'm the best at it by any means. But to me, I want to make sure that the band 
the 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 artist is having the best experience that they can because that's going to help their performance be much yeah. more crisp on stage which people are going to pick up on and and enjoy um but likewise you know yeah i've definitely had times where a band's amp is just way too loud and i'm like hey i am so sorry to ask this but is there any way we can turn it down just so you know yeah because like a it's bit. it's messing with the way it's coming into your mixing board and you can't mix it to well, make it sound or not even that you know it, it could just be like you know like this this twin reverb is very loud is there any way that we can turn it down at all if not that's okay but it is kind of overpowering the mains because our mains aren't very hot and usually there's no problem i i think i've only ever had one time where a band was like so like okay if that's what you want then, uh, yeah you know. that totally makes sense i, and I maybe some of that's their live appeal because they want to i've just... actually had more times where i've had to ask someone to turn their amp up because uh-huh. i was like i'm trying to boost the gain on this mic but i i, I need your amp a little bit louder if, if possible yep you know because yeah i totally get that like uh i mean <laughs> Here's another one. This is like a question I'm going to ask because uh, I just feel like asking it. So feel free to dodge it or dart around it. But like, what about people with, uh, <laughs> I don't even want to say, what about people with junky tone? You know, like, is it's? I know there's probably a lot of difficulty with that. Um, I've, I've had my fair share of junky tone. Um, and I'm talking about, if people don't know what junky tone is, I'm talking about it like your amp sounds like cats in a blender and it makes you want to rip your head off because it literally hurts your ears to listen to. Yeah, like can of yep. bees was another one I've heard a lot of people say. Like it just sounds like a can of bees. But um, like, um, buzz saw is another one I've heard. Um, but My thing is I'm kind of just going to work with whatever band gives me. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if something is like say these two amps, just their, their tones just are not matching up. At, at all depends on the band if, a, if it's a band that's been around for a, a, a long time they're doing what they're doing exactly and i'm gonna work yeah. with that yep and i might eq it in the house a bit to try to blend but if it's kind of a newer band it's a group of kids and they're coming in they're playing and you can tell you know they don't have the best equipment i might yeah you know then i might approach it like hey i've noticed that your your guitar sounds you know is, is good and your tone is is good but they don't quite like match can i make a suggestion to make that match and usually it's it it's like yeah sure and so i'll kind of you know um help them to blend those a a little bit more but i mean again if it's live to me it's more about the performance and the experience than it is about the sound uh yeah and that's another thing was uh depends on like like and then a lot of that probably depends on the band or like the place you're playing because you know like we're talking like from where I'm up from. There's like lots of vineyard shows and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and those aren't going to depend on the performance as much as they are like everybody playing as well as they can. With right, the sound, right. Because you know? there's not going to be people like headbanging at a right, know? right. But but uh, but yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Like playing at clubs, like Three Finger Betty does. Performance has a lot to do with it, whether or not you've got energy. Um, oh, absolutely. You don't got to go nuts, but you still have to be like at least invoking the crowd somehow to uh, right, uh, have right. a good time and move around with you. Because if you're not, if you don't look like you're having fun, then nobody really cares. Exactly. Um, and some of that comes down to time types of bands that you have uh like blending two guitar tones is something that i've done a lot of tinkering with over the years where like um i always feel like john and i have two completely different soundscapes with the amps that we use you do and uh but they complement each other yeah so like that's what i tried to find was something that would like fit one another where like okay so i wanted to get like a metal-ish kind of a sound coming out of my guitar Mm -hmm. but i don't want to have it so like mid-scooped and and grindy uh, right. Like, that it would be like off-putting compared to John's like 
but just kind of like a like, smooth like yeah. distortion yeah so i yeah. wanted the other end of that was i wanted to have like a, a slightly heavier bottom end on my sound because john's didn't have that so it would be easier to distinguish between the two of us mm-hmm. and then if we're playing matching chords uh, it would sound more full because more right. sonic room would be taken up. Definitely. Um, so like those were like the two things I, I went after, which uh, kind of aren't necessarily complementary to one another. Because if you think like metal sound, it's like oh you don't want to muddy up the bottom end. You want to make it as tight as possible. Right. Which uh, those are like that's kind of like where I came into my thought process between like where I wanted my sound to come in, and I think we've done a pretty good job of having the two of us play together. If you compare uh, what I'm hearing here. Um, at least before the podcast compared to the demo that they had done two years ago, three, three years ago, they did. Um, it's, it, there's definitely an added element that's, that's different, uh, which is not just, uh, the longevity of them playing together, but it's also the addition of another guitar, which like, Oh, this is hitting a whole new Sonic region than just like one guitar. Right. Yeah. Two guitars as opposed to one guitar, like the sleepover just has one guitar and so the challenge with that was, okay, I recorded the amp live and I recorded the, the direct off the guitar and then I'm going to, you know, pan the live amp left and, uh, you know, a, a, a reamp on, on the right or something. Oh, cool. And, and, and then I can just have like, like just the, the left channel come in at, at the start of a song and then the right hits in with the drums or, or whatever else. Whereas opposed to like your stuff, you know, it tends to be more like, okay, so they're both coming in on the same chord. Mm-hmm. So they're just going to hit like left and, and right or something. Yep. Um, it's, it's definitely on the mixing side of recording. It's definitely quite a bit different when you're working with one guitar or two guitars. But I mean, when it comes to live, um, when it comes to live stuff, um, especially in a smaller room like at Lefties or at, at Vaudeville Muse or I don't know where else p- people play, the Fremont or whatever, yeah. you know, then you, you, you kind of have to create the separation with your amps being on either sides of this stage as opposed to just trying to all pipe it all like mono in, in, in the system. Yeah. I And so that was another one. Like We'd go to a lot of places and play where there's no in-house uh, sound engineer. Like You have to do all your own sound stuff. And whether or not you want to set it, like at Fremont, there's no sound guy. You have okay. to do it all yourself. They should hire me. Um, <laughs> uh, hit them up. No, uh, but it's, <laughs> it's literally a very basic setup. It's a very small room. You can get away with uh, trying your best to just send the vocals through the PA system and call it good enough. Right. Uh, Boggs is another place like that. Boggs Hole Avenue. They okay. don't have a sound guy, but they have sound equipment. And if you really want to, there may there may be enough room. And enough stuff to mic up all your stuff and send it through their sound system. But, you know, then again, like how much stuff do you want to drag out and do? So a lot of times there we just send the PA as the mics and everybody else just hopes and prays with their soundscape uh, Mm -hmm. that it works. Which is tough because if you're sitting on the left side, you're obviously going to hear like mostly one guitar. And if you're sitting on the right side, uh, vice versa. Yeah. So you run into that issue. We used to drag an extra cab with us and uh, flip flop. Uh, we'd split it in two. It was a four by twelve, and then I would take the opposite side, and John would take the other opposite side. So we had like another cab in the middle that was kind of splitting the sound to fill up the yeah, space. To fill up the space. So if you were on John's side, you would still hear a little bit of what I had going on, and, right, vice, and versa. vice versa. But uh, I don't know. That required too much gear and dragging stuff around. I got tired of doing it. Yeah. There's there there's a whole interesting like world of theory behind you know like working with small pa systems and like trying to to balance the room itself 
yep. you know, all together. Like, okay, so what is the loudest element in this room? Well, obviously it's the symbols. I don't know. We can push everything up to that. So what's the second loudest? Well, it's the snare. Okay, so let's blend everything to, you know, to that. Well, well the PA can't quite go that loud. Well, what can we do with our cabs or, or, or whatever else? And then what can we divvy to the PA, you know, and stuff like that? And how to create um, a sound experience in a in a room with a lackluster PA system is I would geek out and have so much fun doing that if I had the time you know I think if I had just hours and hours to sit down with a band in a room like that and just be like okay so let's just try putting this here or, or, or here you know and see how it sounds out through the whole like room I think that'd be so fun but there's also bands that have recorded that way yep. where where you know they 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 put like one mic somewhere in the room and then move everything around that mic and just record to that one and it sounds crazy good yeah i mean and that's that's a like you said that's a possibility like there's a ton of fun ways you can go about doing it i'm just not that good Uh, (laughs) (laughs) believe it or not bringing one of these uh digital recorders with that has a uh line uh it's it's got microphones on it you Mm -hmm. can open it up and say like uh, how loud is this room at the current moment and set up a level to match everything to. And exactly mm-hmm. like you said, uh, matching to the snare and the cymbals is usually where you have to find everybody has to bring up to that level to an right. extent to match what's going on there. Otherwise they're just going to drown everything out. Oh, and then there's also, you know, the concept of like sonic pressure, you know, like cymbals are very loud. And if you have a drummer who's kind of a cymbal monkey, then, uh, you know, if, you're trying to crank all the amps and cabs and PA up to, to that point, you're actually going to physically hurt people who are trying to listen to Bingo. it. So, you know, you know, it's, there's a lot of different factors that, that go into it. I think as much as people tend to hate drum shields and enclosures, I think for smaller places like that, I think it could be very kind of beneficial to kind of cut down on, on some of that echo off, off of the cymbals. Yes. But, but then you also have to compensate for the toms and the kicks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. That's, that's really crazy. Like the, and that's what, you know, one of those things where our, our band is lucky enough to have like a bassist. Uh, Jeff likes to just tinker with that stuff. And, um, I do too, but I don't have the energy to do it. Yeah. Uh, he it was, brought all kinds of stuff over when you guys yeah, he were just recording. Brought, like a bag of stuff. And I was it was like, just like, Oh, I got some DI boxes. I brought headphones. <laughs> and he just like had like a little bit of everything. Like you need speaker cables. Oh like, my gosh. Like, like, that, that, that one made me laugh too. Cause I was like, I don't think we're going to need speaker cables. Jeff. You know, it's just, <laughs> but he's always, he's like the boy scout. He's always prepared. Like one day I was having trouble hooking up my rig and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. He's like, I got a cable tester and he's got this like cable <laughs> tester. And it's like, why do you have that? You know, but at the same rate, like, I'm glad you did because we figured out one cable sucks and we, right. we checked it and got a new one in there. I actually don't have a cable tester. If, uh, uh, if, if anybody out there would like to buy me a cable tester, I, I'd be very happy. <laughs> Venmo me money at. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know my Venmo. <laughs> I, I don't know that. Should have. Damn it. Could have worked. No, uh, but there's like some pretty good, actually pretty cheap cable testers mm-hmm. on Amazon. Oh, yeah. It's just I, like, wow, I can't believe how well this works. Oh, I can definitely, you know, afford to get one. It just kind of boils down to you. Am I going to buy a cable tester or, ooh, look at this weird little percussion thing at Guitar Center? I'm going to yeah, buy exactly. this instead. Oh, I found something on Amazon Market or on uh, Facebook Marketplace. That, yeah. Uh, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of that too, though. Like oh, all the God. gear I've hunted down has been, uh, I, would, I would have to say, like, uh, 80% of it was below what everybody would have priced it at, you know, and you find a way to get it for a little bit of a deal, et cetera, et cetera. Have you ever found a free piece of gear? Let me see. I'm trying to think. Um, no, I don't think I have. Okay. So 
Facebook or not, not, not Facebook, uh, Craigslist free section. I'm one of those people that checks the free section on Craigslist at least every couple of days. Cause you'll occasionally find mostly drunk, but sometimes something that's okay. You know? Yep. Um, I'm so mad that I didn't see it yesterday, but somebody had just a PV guitar or bass amp on their curb. Yep. I was, and I was like, well, dang it, it rained and it's all going to be like ruined now. Yep. But, uh, I found, I, I found a little fender amp, just a tiny practice amp in a dumpster. Oh man. It was literally in a dumpster covered in, I don't even want to tell you what it was covered in, but I take, but, but I took it home and cleaned it up and, and tried it. And I was like, it's perfect. Yeah. So I used it for the longest time and then eventually I sold it. Yeah. That's funny. I, you know, and I, I did a little bit of wheeling and dealing where you'd buy stuff for like a little bit cheaper, get a bundle of stuff and sell it off piece by piece. And it's, it's whatever. You always end up with too much gear sitting in boxes oh and God. places. Always. But, uh, it is kind of fun to hunt that stuff down. I always liked going there and finding stuff, especially like new musicians. I spent a lot of time, like I did lessons and stuff like that. And I was just trying to encourage people to play the guitar that want to. And I want to buy this guitar. It's like, well, it's like 500 bucks. You could find one that's just as good for like 200 used. And then it's just like, well, right. look at this guy. He's got one that's a little bit, not that awesome. And based on the fact you want this to be your first guitar, like you could get away with spending like a hundred bucks or less. You know, and you find something that's good for them, that's used, that's not a first-act guitar from Walmart, that's a piece of junk or whatever. Or you could just be the sleaziest capitalist ever and just go get it and then upsell it to them. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you know, and that's the thing, like, with everybody no. I've ever done lessons to or tried to help with that stuff. It's just like, I'm going to try and do my best, you know, by you to help you find something you want to find. And, and right, not right. It. Yep. But, uh, I mean, I have bought stuff and then played with it for, like, a year or two and then just went and sold it off. It's not, It's not unheard of, you know. Mm-hmm. but uh you know and that's some of the thing about like you got to know the market out there too and it, it's weird how much if you watch it for a few years it's like oh man everything fluctuated for a while you couldn't get rid of one of these things for 400 bucks and now, and now it's six or seven is the absolute lowest you will ever find one for yeah and people and like, are just buying them off like like crazy and, and it's, just, it's it's interesting for sure whether or not it's a guitar um like like cabs especially like nobody's buying the 4x12 cabs anymore no so like you can buy a, a 4x12 used for both the price of a 2x12 used because uh, people are just dumping them they're not like using yeah, them yeah and we're talking nice ones because i was gonna say if you go to like get uh like a I'm talking just like a run-of-the-mill PV cab, you, you know, maybe 200 bucks tops, you know, right. but if you want a 2x12, that's decent, you three, 400 bucks. It's weird because like some places brand new, the 2x12s are more than the 4x12s, and it's mm-hmm. like, how does that work out? You well, know? and part of that is just, you know, it's kind of the market and the fluctuation of where people aren't really buying the 4x12s. I don't want to buy a 4x12 because I don't want to haul it around. Uh, that is my biggest problem right now. I'm tired of dragging 4x12s mm-hmm. places, and that's like... I'm and trying I to think, find a way to get around it because I, I think haven't. that's a huge part of why people are buying, you know, the helixes and the Kempers and the Axe Effects and stuff like that is because you can put it in a rack and take that and you don't have to have an amp or a cab. Yep. And you, you just know? plug it straight into the DI yeah. and, and away yeah. it goes. Which I, I absolutely love that. Um, it's worth the extraordinarily nominal loss of sound that you're going to have from having a digital rig because oh, it's yeah. like the premier digital rig to have and pretty much. Now, I'm not going to buy a digital rig. Because why would I want to spend money on it? I I, I have an orange TH30. Is it up there? It there is, is up there. There is an orange I TH30. I love my TH30. It is, hands down, in my opinion, the most versatile tube amp I've ever played. And I absolutely adore it. Nice. But a good at the same time, um, 
I've heard some Kempers that sound great. Like back in April, I had the opportunity to record Memphis Mayfire live at the Muse. And it's just one of those projects that I'm just kind of like mixing on here and there. They're not paying me. I don't even know if they'll let me like use their stuff in my portfolio, but they used, uh, these Kempers and it turned out great. I mean, the, yeah. the, the guitars, they sound, sounds like a cab. It's like, this uh, is yeah, fantastic. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, like, you can get down to like the point where you can simulate whatever cab oh you God. want or whatever amp you want. What, like, whatever amp and pedals into whatever cab with whatever speaker with whatever mic. Yeah. And I mean, oh I've, I've got an Abbott 11 rack, which is like a poor man's Kemper type deal. Yeah. And it's like the same deal, but it's kind of wild how you can just like plug and play all that stuff in there and be like, this sounds pretty darn good. Or, there, or even like the people who just have like Amplitube on their tablet or something. They just have like an iRig and they plug yeah. it into that. Dude, and you out. Have, that's it's so mind blowing how cool you can do that like nowadays with, with like, a phone with, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah or like an iPad or anything but it's just like you know ten fifteen years ago and it's not even a possibility no, right know? it's so wild it's like wait I don't even need an amp this is great yeah it's pretty wild um, just, just stick a wah pedal in front of it and call it good <laughs> exactly if if anybody wants to check those things out like uh, yeah just any sort of a digital like Kemper is the one that I've seen yeah. everybody's been going nuts Kemper for. uh line six helix yeah. um I know TC electronic is in the process of making a multi-effects pedal I'm not sure if it's just going to be all of their effects in one pedal or if it's going to try to go after the the helix and Kemper type right. of market and then there's you know the axe effects and yep I don't even know like what else there there is um a buddy of mine still has a pod hd 500x pods were big for and while. they're still great they still sound great you know yeah the digital market's come a long ways it really has um, it's it's pretty fun to think about that kind of stuff as far let's as let's just like, bring back the days of like the digitech rp80 you know <laughs> yeah that sounds like shit let's go for it you yeah, know why not you know oh my gosh yeah my favorite was figuring out how to run those one one of those properly because i was like how come every time i use one of these it sounds like crap and it's like because you're not doing anything right with it you know? yeah. So. yeah that's that's the digital modeling i mean the most modeling that that i'll do because i'm doing the recording stuff is you know i'm a i'm a huge fan of joey sturgis's plugins okay i'm gonna come out and say i'm not a fan of joey sturgis as a person i think he's kind of a douche <laughs> <laughs> you know he's like my mixes are great it's like yeah i listen to your mixes i not a fan <laughs> but his plugins are phenomenal the bus glues are great um some of his uh his limiter the finality is my favorite i am actually using that on your guys's drums um, nice nice but uh his amp simulators i think are great uh the tone forge stuff uh, the Ben Bruce Tone Forge plugin, I think personally, um, is my favorite because I can do you know clean for like country type of a sound, all all the way up to you know like just a ridiculous searing overdrive. Yeah. You know, and then if you're getting into like the gent stuff, then you can go a bit yeah heavier with like the Jason Richardson or the 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 Misha Mansour. Yeah. I'm pronouncing these wrong, I'm sure, but it's 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 pretty cool. Um and what I like to do with those is I'll blend that with a live amp. You know, okay. to um to keep the characteristic of the live amp but kind of blend in something extra to fill in the the gaps the gaps being left. As unfortunate of reality as it is, you know the recording and production stuff has come a long way since, you know, Queen yeah you know yep. like their stuff sounded phenomenal but it boiled down to you have a live amp 
yep. and live drums and a live vocal, and there's not much being done to it. Yep. Whereas, you know, today it's like, oh, you know, people are, you know, quad tracking their guitars, you yeah. know, yep. and, and okay, well, here's the drums. Which now so, it's, you know, that sounds great, though. Quad tracking oh, sounds great. Yeah, so. yeah. But then people, you know, are, are like, okay, here's a live drum kit. We're, we're going to blend some samples in with it. And we're going to take those and bust them out to like a fuzz pedal and record that back in and, and blend it. So on each drum element, you have like three or four different tracks that you're blending together and uh-huh. stuff. And it's it kind of creates kind of like a wall of sound, you know? Yeah. And it's 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 a lot different. So um, with you know being able to blend a live amp with an amp simulator, I think is great. But yeah. 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 Definitely. So we, I think we've covered like mostly. Have we? Most of what we've. I think so. Because so like, uh, speed of sound. Yep, yep. Uh, so my business is called Speed of Sound. Uh, it is actually a nod to a shop in my hometown. Oh, nice. Called Speed of Sound. Uh, it's kind of they more specialize in like amplifiers and repair and, and and stuff like that. But like you can go in there and pick some stuff up or whatever. Um, I I used to go in there a lot as a kid. And so I initially called my business that as as a nod to that shop and as a nod to my hometown. That's awesome. Um, before I realized, wow, that might have actually been a bad thing to do. Yeah. But, I mean, whatever, I was able to get the LLC for it. That's cool. So. so you got Speed of Sound Studios, is that what you call it, just Speed of Sound? Just Speed of Sound. I'm in the process of trying to think of a name for the studio side because Speed of Sound in general, you know, I do the studio side mostly in the recordings and, and, and stuff like that. But I also um, partner with a different a couple of different companies. Uh, Ragnarok Cabs out of nice. Cedar yeah. Rapids. Cool. Um, you, you can buy his cabs on my website. Um, uh, what else? Trace Audio out of um, L.A., I think is where he, he is. Uh, he does a lot of like custom cabling and equipment. You can buy yep. like the the neve preamps through him and stuff like that oh cool um kind of have like links to some of his stuff um i actually build some custom pedal boards out of old suitcases oh cool on on occasion so people can order those through my website speedofsoundia.com um but so I'm, i'm trying to think of a name for this for the studio side it's just not very high on the priority list yeah i gotcha all right, so we uh, talked about that. We uh, let's give another shout out to the band, though. Yeah, the band. Wait, what band? Your band. Oh, my band. Your band. <laughs> I was like, Not wait, my band. Yeah, let's talk about Three Finger Betty more. You know, talk me up. Tell me how cool I am. I was like, the band, dude, Elwood. Dude, we're so the good. The band. We're so good. <laughs> right. right. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, my, my band is called Aren't We All. Yep. Um, we're kind of Tool inspired. Uh, my solo project is called The Somewhat. The Somewhat. Mm-hmm. And then I have a side project with Ben Barker, great drummer. Right. He plays in Eggs Per Minute, Meth May Be an Orphan, and and ooh, Ruby Rocket in the Locomotive Wonder Kid. Okay. Um, he's act- he's actually a classically trained percussionist. Oh, that's awesome. He has a, he has a degree in percussion. That's why. And he's actually my in-house percussionist. So if you're looking to record a song and you want to come in and you're like, I just need some help like writing a different type of uh, percussion part, you can... Oh, you know, awesome. I'll call him up and, and, and bring him in. Um, and, uh, yeah, we have a side project called B Squared. Okay, that's cool. Where we just record acoustic covers of punk songs 
All right. Just just specifically just like recording. We don't perform. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And you do uh live mixing at uh vaudeville i do some live mixing at vaudeville muse on occasion i do some booking at lefty's live music cool that's awesome so you're a busy guy yeah yeah (laughs) you got your fingers on the pulse of the music scene in the des moines area for sure trying to i've been in des moines for three and a half years so i'm trying to trying to get my finger on the pulse of it yeah well i think i think you're doing a great job oh thanks i just want to say thanks uh you know for once again making time to sit down with me uh recording the three finger betty stuff making it a very easy and pain-free environment to sit down oh i appreciate it i mean like i got uh, a headache on that day and i'm not someone that gets headaches so it was just like a weird like rare thing where it's like my head is going to explode and i cannot figure out what's going on and uh yeah it was very you were very inviting and weren't really you know you didn't make me feel like I had to sit there and do stuff and be a certain place because, you know, people with headaches get aggravated. And I was, oh, yeah. I was easily no. aggravated that day. I just wanted to sit outside until it's just like, just tell me when it's time to play. I'll come in and play. You know, so <laughs> you made it very easy for me and everybody else involved. Well, I think that, that recording should be fun. Yeah, definitely. You know? So, yeah. Well, I appreciate you sitting down and uh, no doing a podcast with me, man. Well, thanks for having me on your podcast. Absolutely, we'll do a uh, we'll we'll do another one sometime when sure. you when you get some more bands under your belt and talk about what else you got going on, man. Send some bands my way. All right, we'll, <laughs> we'll do it. This is that's what we're uh, trying to do with the podcast. Here. Sounds so we'll great. All right, man. all right. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, that was a great one. Uh, sitting down talking to Ben, he's just he seems so knowledgeable. He's just nice i guess just really nice guy that's it's it's not like there's not any nice guys out there but but dang he's just easy to talk to uh you just spin ideas off of him and he spins his ideas back on you and that's that's what i'm you know that's all i'm looking for really here in these podcasts is just having a conversation with people and i think i had a great one there with ben uh you can check all of his links out down below i've got uh links to his bands and his recording studio i guess i don't know if it's a studio but his recording engineer where you can contact him and check out his stuff he's got it there i've got it down below so check out all his stuff down below and uh while you're scrolling around down below don't forget to check out couchtown coffee this week you can save 20 percent because couchtown's that awesome just make sure you enter the code word sound and uh if you're one of the first five orders this week you will also get an audible farm podcast sticker so make sure you use that promo code you got to use the promo code to get the sticker. So uh, use that promo code, save 20%, and get yourself a free Audible Farm podcast sticker. That's a nice way for us of us to say thank you uh, for supporting us for the last year. So I really appreciate it. And uh, hey, ringing in the new year, I've got some ideas brewing up here. I have a Facebook group that I've started for anybody that wants to dump any of their band's links to events pages and other stuff they have coming up Uh, i know there's a bunch of groups already set for that but the thing that makes my group a little bit different is if you put uh facebook event links in there uh i i may make a little schedule or a calendar or at least mention them on the podcast i might even make like a friday show that's just me listing shows that are going on in certain areas or something i don't know I've got I've got big plans, but I'm not quite sure where to take it. If you guys got any input on the situation, drop it in a comment section down below. Wherever you're listening, go to Facebook. Uh, find anything Audible Farm at www.audiblefarm.com. Make sure you uh, like, subscribe, and share. Tell everyone about the podcast. I've got tons of stickers, everybody. So uh, if this uh, 
promo deal goes over really fast and all them Snickers stickers get snatched up, maybe I'll run another little promo with Audible Farm here and Couchtown Coffee coming up soon. So uh, make sure you save 20% by entering the code word sound because I'll tell you what, the guy that's running the sound for Three Finger Betty's new album that's coming up is Ben Hall and he joined me today and I am super glad that we got to sit down and talk because he's doing an amazing job so far. Uh, keeping us updated with little tidbits of things that he fixes here and there and does this and that and he did a really good job preserving the sound and energy that three finger betty has live because that is uh that is our i don't know that's like i think that's where we belong is in a live setting just punching people in the face with music and that's that's what uh he somehow had the ability to capture that on a recording session so thanks ben uh i am looking forward to how these tracks turn out when they are fully completed so this is going to be a good one i can't wait uh check out all of ben's stuff down below check out couchtowncoffee.com check out audiblefarm.com uh make sure you also check out iowapodcastnetwork.com i haven't mentioned them in a while but uh they're still kicking and they are uh, one of the reasons that we are doing this too because i uh, i love being part of teams of things so appreciate it thanks for listening everybody we'll check you next week later